2: It was actually my boss, who's an ENT doctor, that sat me down one day and he was like, you know, Yoon, I think you would be a great physician, but have you ever thought about pursuing the culinary field professionally? He was like, I really want you to go home and ask yourself, like, what makes you happy? What drives you? Welcome back
1: to Working. I'm your host, Isaac Butler.
3: And I'm your other host, Karen Hahn.
1: Karen, how are things out there in lovely Los Angeles?
3: Good. I love winter or like I guess quote unquote winter in LA because it feels like fall on the East Coast. Like mornings and evenings are really nice. I still don't like love going out in the middle of the day, but that's because I'm, I'm like a little worm. I hate being in the sun.
1: Would you say they call you Dr. Worm?
3: <gasps> I'm not a real doctor, but I am a real worm
1: amazing. And speaking of doctors, whose voice <laughs> was that we heard? I'm the Segway King. Whose voice was that we heard at the top of the show?
3: So that was Yun Sung, who is currently the pastry chef for Hansik as well as a practicing physician.
1: Not to, you know, sound like a yenta, but he's a doctor and a chef. That's that's <laughs> wild. Can't wait to hear about that. But in the meantime, got to know do our Slate Plus members get a little something extra this week?
3: Oh, you know they do. So this week, the Slate Plus extra bit is I talked to Yoon about his experience starting his culinary journey in Baltimore and how like what was available to him at that time informed his path as a chef and how he really became interested in this field, like while starting out in medical school.
1: That sounds amazing. And our Slate Plus members, you'll have that little bit waiting for you at the end of this week's episode. And if you would like that little bit to be waiting for you at the end of this week's episode, not to mention, I don't know, full access behind the paywall, extra bonus episodes of slow burn and big mood, little mood, feeling secure and maybe a little bit smug in the knowledge that you have helped us do what we do right here at Working, why don't you sign up for Slate Plus today? Go to slate.com working plus. Thank you in advance. All right, now let's listen in to Karen Han's conversation with Chef and Dr. Yoon Sung.
3: Hello Yoon, thank you so much for coming on to working.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
3: I'm so excited to talk with you because I was lucky enough to attend a pop-up event that you did with the restaurant Hunchik a few months ago. And I was really stunned to learn that in addition to being a chef, you're also working as a doctor or physician. And I believe now you're also working uh, as the pastry chef for the Hansik folks. And I wanted to start by asking, I think the question that everyone will have as soon as they hear that you're juggling two jobs. How do you currently balance your time for both things?
2: Yeah, so right now I'm working part-time in urgent care. So shifts are usually about 10 and a half to 12 hours, which can be a little bit long. Um, yeah. Yeah. So right now I'm able to kind of pick up shifts whenever I want. So I'm doing urgent care shifts a couple times a week. And then right now with the Hanjik team, we're actually also in a transition period where They're not doing dine-in right now at the current brick and mortar. They're looking for a new building. And so we're doing this really exciting thing where we're doing pop-ups like, you know, several times a month. So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think my typical week involves, you know, working at urgent care a couple times a week. And then the rest of the week sort of uh, menu planning and Mm -hmm. recipe testing and then meeting up with Justin and trying things out and then doing the pop-up. So sort of, you know, half and half right now.
3: Mm-hmm. That's incredible. And now to backtrack a little bit. So you have these two sort of pursuits. Was there one that came first? Or were they always both fields that you were interested in?
2: I think, you know, uh, my parents are kind of in the healthcare field. So I grew up with, you know, the typical conservative Asian parents who are like, you must be a doctor. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I grew up, um, I went to college, I was pre-med. And I was a pretty um i guess stubborn teenager, <laughs> like very much about like I need to do what makes you happy like from the get go and I think it, it's paid off, but back then you know it was kind of rocky with my parents but mm-hmm. first week of orientation, I was a undecided major, and I was looking at different majors and discovered public health, which you know was a really amazing concept of kind of like um thinking about like socioeconomic factors and Mm -hmm. how, uh, you know, we should serve like the underserved communities, whether that's local or global. So that really appealed to me. So I was like, okay, if I have to choose health, I think this is the right route I want to pursue because at that time, international studies was the other major I was considering. So in a way, I was kind of like, okay, if I have to appease my parents, this is the major (laughs) and the route that I want to go to and cooking i think even in college i was kind of always the one amongst my friends to really be interested in cooking and trying new restaurants but you know back then it was more of a hobby and then i think as you know i finished college and had more time to cook for myself is when i really discovered i think this is actually more than just a hobby for me yeah yeah that's how it started
3: I'm surprised to hear you say that the medical track was something that you did to appease your parents, partially because now I feel like a lot of the people that I've talked to in creative fields or even on this show, the concept of a day job is something that comes up a lot, where it's like a job that you have that you're not necessarily passionate about, but will keep the lights on for long enough for you to be able to kind of grow and develop your creative process. But on the other hand, you still want to do this. It's not that you want to give one up for the other. It's both of them are passions for you. At what point did, I guess, that particular track become something that wasn't just about making sure your parents were happy, but something that you personally were passionate about?
2: Sure. Um, In college, so, you know, being a public health major, I started working at um, volunteering at a free clinic in a nurse Mm -hmm. city, Baltimore. And It was just amazing to see that's when I really discovered, you know, primary care and family medicine where it's about building this like long-term relationship with patients. So that's why when I was, you know, in medical school and residency, I decided I wanted to do family medicine, which, you know, you see patients of all ages. Um, And to me, I was like, if I want to really serve underserved communities and even be involved in global health, that that is what makes me the most um, skilled in kind of all aspects. So that's kind of what I think those experiences in college sort of um, made me passionate about primary care. And then in medical school, I, you know, you go through different rotations and family medicine isn't the most prestigious um, field, I would say, especially in Asia. Like my parents Mm -hmm. were like, why don't you do plastic surgery or dermatology something higher paying, but to me, I went through other rotations, and I really did enjoy all of them, but I was like, family medicine is where my passion is, and yeah. it is about the underserved communities. And through that, I was able to also combine, you know, the culinary side by doing cooking demos in residency and making recipes for patients that are affordable but healthy. Oh, wow. So Yeah. You know.
3: Do you remember any of the recipes that you developed that you were talking about?
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, I think the challenge is, um, you know, I've lived in kind of inner city Baltimore before and where there weren't really fresh grocery stores near me. And so, you know, if you have a dollar, it's, you know, and you have to provide for a family like who wouldn't want to just pick up a bag of chips, which offers more calories and in a Mm -hmm. way can be more filling than buying an apple, for instance. So for me, I was really passionate about developing recipes that are. You know, healthy, but also easy to make and cost effective. So I think oats are a really great source of, you know, protein and carbs that Mm -hmm. are healthy uh, and fiber. So um, kind of doing like a savory take on oats so that patients are more willing to try them. So instead of like, you know, cinnamon, sugar, kind of like the typical oats, um, doing like sort of like a vegetable, uh, cheddar, butternut, squash kind of oats, Mm -hmm. Uh, just using canned vegetables. And patients really enjoyed that.
3: Yeah has there been much other crossover between the two because i feel like if someone told me like find the intersection of the venn diagram between uh, healthcare and cooking i wouldn't be entirely sure where to start
2: yeah and a lot of people ask me that um a mm-hmm. lot of people are like what do medicine and like you know culinary have in common like how are you going to try to do both but mm-hmm. to me actually they actually have a lot in common i think you know, for centuries, I feel that food has been the medicine, you know, that Mm -hmm. have sustained our ancestors for centuries. And I think further to go into deeper, I think at their core, they're both, you know, industries of hospitality and service. So I think it's really about the patient in front of you, the guests in front of you, and kind of being able to be of service to them. So both fields have been very gratifying to me in that sense.
3: Mm -hmm. I love what you're saying about hospitality sort of being the cross-section between these two fields that you're pursuing. And I'm curious, like, what else you think of as an overlap? Like, for instance, I would say they're both fairly scientific fields. Like, cooking, I think, more often is described as an art, but there still is a certain amount of science to it. Like, how much of each ingredient's going in, how long it goes in the oven, et cetera are there any other ways in which you feel like these two fields meld in your head? Or is there anything else that you think like really overlaps and ties these two fields together?
2: Yeah. Um, and I love what you said about both fields kind of having, um, you know, science, but also art as well. Mm-hmm. Um, because I feel like, you know, when I kind of pursued the path fields over the last decade, um, there has been a lot of kind of you know rolling with the punches and you kind of have to improvise in a way so mm-hmm. a lot of people think in medicine it's like a black and white answer where there's one diagnosis and then one cure but that is simply not true i think mm-hmm. especially in a hospital setting when let's say like you know your kidneys are shutting down but so is your heart and your lungs it's like Which is kind of like the one that's going to, if we focus on kind of help or should we try to balance all three? So there is an art to medicine as well. And I think also in terms of like how you convey that to the patient and their families when they're in this really vulnerable time. And I think similarly in um, cooking where we think we should follow this recipe to a T, but I think depending on kind of like how the ingredient tastes at that time or the oven's temperature, there is kind of like an improvisation or art Mm -hmm. like even when you're plating like maybe I'll do it a little bit differently today so I think there's a lot of really um, similarities between the two
3: Yeah, I wanted to talk about the way that you, I guess, experiment is not quite the right word, but experiment with Korean cuisine as well, because that was one of the things that really struck me as remarkable about the menu that you developed for the pop-up with Hanshik. I wanted to ask a little bit about what kinds of things you personally like to cook, and what sort of things you think about while developing recipes.
2: Yeah, um, you know, I feel like these days, thankfully, a lot of people know about Korean barbecue, kimchi, Mm -hmm. and things like that, but... I believe that Korean food is so much richer and so much deeper than that. So my um, kind of challenge to myself and my type of cuisine is, I guess, how can I make more traditional ingredients more approachable and um, appealing to the average American? So mm-hmm. um, things like tenjang or a soybean paste that, you know, a lot of people are familiar with miso, but tenjang is a little bit funkier and more assertive mm-hmm. in taste. Or, like, perilla, which is similar to shiso. And so, how can I take those ingredients and really, um, you know, make them more contemporary? And so, for the pop-up, perilla is one of my favorite ingredients. I was like, let's do an ice cream with that. And I, you know, paired it with a brown butter cake. And, you know, perilla is in the mint and um, basil uh, family. So, I was like, I think strawberry can be kind of like a bridge to tie, like, the cake and the ice cream together. So sort of like that, I tried to think about flavors that would go together in a traditional sense and try to put a Korean spin on it.
3: What was your personal journey with Korean cuisine as well? I Did you grow up eating a lot of it or was it something that you kind of discovered more as you were growing up? Or,
2: Yeah, um, so my mom is actually a really great cook, but she mm-hmm. never really taught me any cooking because I think she has a traditional sense of like, you know men shouldn't cook kind of thing (laughs) so even though when i was younger i would want to like i would always peer over her shoulder be like oh what are you making how do you make that she would always like be like oh just go play with your toys um (laughs) but so i think that's when i really discovered like good korean food and good korean flavors growing up and
3: Mm -hmm. um
2: the restaurant I worked at before was more of a farm to table, um, new American restaurant. So we would have some Asian dishes, but not too much Korean food. But, you know, that's when I kind of learned techniques and, you know, being farm to table, like incorporating more fresh vegetables. And, um, but at home I would always usually cook Korean food or kind of, um, Korean fusion quote unquote dishes. And that's sort of how I developed my style, I guess, of, Mm -hmm. um, A lot of Asian food, I think sometimes can be heavy, especially fusion, but I like to kind of balance it out.
1: We'll be back with more of Karen's conversation with chef and physician Yoon Sung after this. Hey, listeners, Isaac Butler here. I want to ask you for two things really, really quick. The first is, if you do not subscribe to this show already and you're enjoying what you're hearing, please go ahead and hit subscribe. And if there's some way in your podcast app to rate us, to like us, to recommend us to other people, to star us, whatever it is, uh, why don't you go ahead and do that? Also- You know what? We really love listener emails. We really love listener voicemails. We would really love to hear from you. If there's a particular creative struggle you'd like to hear us tackle, let us know. If there's a recent success or triumph you've had that you want to share with us and our listeners, let us know. If there's a guest or kind of guest you'd like to have, let us know at workingatslate.com or even better, call us and leave a listener voicemail at 304-933-WORK. Okay, now back to Karen's conversation with Yoon Sung.
3: As you've sort of kept balancing these two different career paths, I'm curious if there was ever a point where you thought you might have to choose one or the other, and if there was how you decided that you could keep going with both.
2: Yeah. So um, it's interesting, actually, because so I moved to L.A. just about six months ago Mm -hmm. and I moved to L.A. from the Bay Area to open a restaurant. Um, I did a Kickstarter this past year. Thankfully, I was able to hit the goal. But in my mind, I was kind of like, if I open the restaurant, I'm going to have to leave medicine for the first at least year or two while uh, I'm the one being in the kitchen full time. And, you know, I was like, I should start by doing pop ups. And in the meantime, um, you know, I was lucky to be able to find this part-time um, urgent care position. Mm-hmm. And then now, as of a couple of weeks ago, the model has changed where I had this fixed school. But then I met this really great group of people at Han um an mm-hmm. in-hospitality group that, you know, have been really supportive of me. Like even my first pop-up, I did it with them. And they were like, you know, when we were starting out, we had so many people who really helped us out and so we want to be able to uplift others in the industry and we want to help you as well and it went really well and so this opportunity came where we both mutually really liked working with each other and they kind of have a similar philosophy on Korean food so I mean it was so different from the goal that I imagined before but I was like is it crazy to actually just join this team who is clearly very talented passionate and hard-working mm-hmm. and um, so I think, you know, I think everything happens for a reason. And so this opportunity came. And so now I'm having this hybrid model where they're willing to work with me, um, both the yeah. healthcare side and culinary side to support my goals and passions. So who's to say what's going to happen down the road? And there may be a point where I may have to at least temporarily go 100% one field or the, or the other, but I would like to keep up with both if that means being super part-time in one of them.
3: hmm and I, I wanted to ask about your ambition to open a restaurant as well. Can you tell me a little bit about when you started thinking about opening up your own place and coming to the central philosophy that you wanted to have behind your restaurant?
2: You know, I think it's every um, everyone in the field and every chef's dream to have their own concept and have their own dream. You know, um, mm-hmm. actually, I guess I should mention uh, the reason I was able to have the courage to even... Um, Enter the field is because, you know, when I started cooking, um, I was doing clinical research and I would bring stuff into the office for people to try out. And it was actually my boss, who's a ENT doctor, that sat me down one day and he was like, You know, you I think you would be a great physician, but have you ever thought about pursuing the culinary field professionally? Um, He's mm-hmm. eaten at a lot of restaurants and he was like, You know, I um, was always on this path uh, since high school with horse blinders on. I was always pre-med. And second year of residency, I realized this is not what I want to do with my life, but it was too Mm -hmm. late. So he was like, I really want you to go home and ask yourself, like, what makes you happy? What drives you? And yeah, and so I really owe him a lot. I think if he hadn't challenged me, I never would have really dug into that part of me to ask myself those challenging questions. Mm -hmm. So... And I was applying to medical school and I applied for a job uh, at my favorite restaurant with Barry Kitchen in Baltimore. Um, and the chef uh, emailed me back and he sat me down for an interview. And he was like, I know you don't have formal training, but mm-hmm. I've seen your work and you seem like you have a lot of talent and passion. So mm-hmm. we'll have you come in for a skills assessment interview. So it was an open kitchen, um, worked Friday night, Saturday night, the busiest Mm -hmm. nights. At the end of the second shift, the chef called all the cooks to the bar. He poured everyone a shot of bourbon and he was like, you and you're hired. Um, So that's, yeah, it was one of the happiest days of my life. And yeah, so working at Woodbury Kitchen is when I started to, um, like I said, like learn more about the power of, you know, really fresh seasonal local vegetables and Mm -hmm. when you have quality ingredients you really don't need to do much the ingredients speak for themselves Uh, but you know long story short then I worked there and then I uh, went on to med school interviews and decided I am gonna try to pursue both so
3: yeah
2: I guess I've been after I left the kitchen um, professionally I've still been working on my style and still despite the rigors of medical school and residency like working on my style and my you know like my cuisine like what really Mm defines me and what makes me happy and so that's how I developed my style over time and I realized that similarly like of when I first delved into the industry obviously in this day and age it's such a risk to open up a place of your own um, Mm -hmm. financially and also professionally and so a lot of people were like you know you've been in school for 12 years. Now you can finally reap the benefits of being a doctor. Why would you go back to the hospitality industry and Mm -hmm. do this to yourself? And it is true, right? But I think for me, um, again, like life is short. And I think I've always been to be the one, like, I don't want to have regrets or ask what if. So Mm -hmm. despite how daunting it was, I was like, I'm going to do this Kickstarter. I'm going to try to open my restaurants. And I think that really spoke to people like that I was very earnest and um, honest about, you know, and being vulnerable. And that's kind of what led me to be like, open up my own place, because um, I'm like, this is what makes me happy. And I don't want to live with regrets.
3: Yeah. So you mentioned that you worked uh, in pastry at Woodbury. And also, again, you were now the pastry chef for Handshake. Um, how did you come to pursue that particular culinary field? Because it is a little bit Different, or it's a slightly separate field from like general cooking. I would say.
2: Yeah, at Woodbury, I was able to kind of work on both the savory and the um, pastry side, which again was kind of unique to my position. Which I really thank the chef for that flexibility. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, right now um, for Hanshik Justin is you know the head chef, and so um, and they already have a sous chef. So for me, naturally, like this was when we were brainstorming um, about like how to kind of increased the audience for Hunchigan. i was like well i do have background in pastry and so i think i have a lot of ideas on how we can do kind of like korean inspired desserts." so that's what i would bring to the table and um they were like yeah we're thinking about doing pop-ups where so then you and justin as a duo can do all these pop-ups so naturally it was kind of like a position where i thought i could contribute to and they were looking for and you know i think a lot of people in culinary kind of delineate like pastry versus savory like one or the other but I wanted to be able to keep up with and do both if I were to open up my own place. But mm-hmm. there are different skill sets. One thing I do love about about pastry though is that I think there's something magical about I think a lot of savory dishes you can kind of see the ingredients and a lot of times it translates to the dish in front of you. But for pastry it's like you have butter, eggs, flour, mm-hmm. milk, and out of that you create something totally new and Unexpected and to me that is just amazing and so I've always been fascinated with the pastry world.
3: Mm-hmm. So ultimately, it seems like you would want to be able to have your restaurant while also continuing practicing as a physician. Is is that correct?
2: Yeah, I think that's the ultimate goal. But you know, I'm always open to new opportunities and change, and yeah. you know that's what I've learned over the years. So. I don't really know where this current model is going to lead, but, you mm-hmm. know, the Han team and man I, I have talked about, like, you know, I mean, just theoretical, but maybe you can open your restaurant, like, under our hospitality group in mm-hmm. the future, things like that. And I don't really know, you know, what's going to happen, but I'm keeping an <laughs> open mind.
3: That said, if you suddenly came across a genie's lamp and it said, I will grant you your ideal career model right now? What would you say that looks like? Or do you not have a clear idea of that?
2: I think I would like to, again, this has changed, right? Where mm-hmm. I was like, oh, maybe medicine will be more of a, you know, kind of like on the side, like couple times a month thing. But I am realizing like in an ideal world, I would love to be able to do both. So yeah, yeah I think being both either a restaurant like owner chef and being a physician would be amazing and uh like i think basically like it would be amazing if i could have some work-life balance where if i can eventually build a team that i can be a little bit more out of the kitchen and mm-hmm. have a team that's running and just kind of check in that would be amazing to be able to kind of keep up with both because i think i'm so used to like hustling and grinding and yeah. <laughs> i definitely am still willing to do that and i do think both fields do require hard work, Mm -hmm. but I do think eventually at some point I would like to be able to enjoy a little bit and take a breather. So, yeah.
3: So you mentioned that you didn't have any formal training in cooking, like before you plunged into the culinary world where I, whereas I guess with your practice as a physician, like you went through all the expected steps, like went to school, went to pre-med, went through all this uh, training to become a physician On the other hand, like on the culinary side of things, like do you ever find yourself, I don't know, like wishing you had a little more formal training or kind of finding that being able to do things like through experience is kind of enough?
2: You know, this is something I've definitely thought about a lot. Like Mm -hmm. I always knew that by not having this like one-on-one like formal culinary school training, that there may be certain aspects I'm kind of a little bit lacking in. So but, you know, I think when I've kind of tried to teach myself um, over the years, um, I tried to have a systematic approach where I was, like, OK, is there an ingredient or technique that I'm not as familiar with? like, And let's try to, you know, explore that or teach myself that. So despite not having to do that, I kind of have put that on myself. And mm-hmm. for sure, there's still a lot to learn, too. But I have found that in the culinary field, like. I mean, I think really any field like your strengths and your skill sets are based on the experiences you've had and, you know, um, who you've worked with. So I think in the kitchen, like you always find that you're lacking in something, but someone else does it a certain way that's easier than what you've done. So I think as long as I keep an open mind and, you know, like obviously like be humble, but mm-hmm. um, also um you know, be confident in that I have tried to push myself and teach myself. And so I there's things that I can bring to the table, too. Um, I think I'll continue to evolve and uh, grow stronger.
3: Mm -hmm. Thank you so, so much for coming on the show. It has been so wonderful speaking with you.
2: Thank you so much. It's uh, been an honor. And thank you for coming to the pop-up again. And stay tuned for more pop-ups.
3: Oh, of course. I can't wait to see what you do next.
1: When we come back, Karen and I will talk about the balancing act of food and medicine, art as a form of service, and living a life that makes you happy. All that after this.
0: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance.
1: All right, Karen, you and I are freelancers. You and I have mm-hmm. a bunch of different jobs, including this podcast, but I cannot effing imagine being an urgent <laughs> care doctor and a chef. Like, what?
3: I know. And as I mentioned, I went to a handshake pop up that he developed the menu for. And when he presented the meal and talked about his story, I was just totally stunned. Like both of these professions are so time consuming and labor intensive. It is so impressive to me that he's able to balance both.
1: Yeah. I mean, it is just rare. You know, we, we should just think about it mm-hmm. for a moment, how rare it is that when someone is faced with the kind of creative crossroad that he described in his life. They choose both and instead of either or, even though, you know, both medicine and the restaurant industry. I mean, those are jobs that normally demand the totality of your being 24 seven. Mm-hmm. So how did he make it work? And what can we learn from how he did it? Do you think?
3: I think part of it has to do with what Yoon said, where fortunately both of the places that he's working for are willing to afford him a little flexibility. And that sort of comes down to luck. Like when I quit working full-time at Slate, it was because I knew I needed to devote more time to my book if I ever wanted to finish it. And Slate wasn't willing at that point to offer me book leave. So I had to choose one or the other. It was I didn't have that kind of flexibility. Um, more generally speaking, I think it's creatively possible for Yoon to do both these things because I think his mindset of wanting to cater to to his community and his mindfulness about health and what goes into your body. Like both of these things are things you consider in medicine and in food. So he has a healthy, I guess, or well-developed attitude like towards a crossover between the two fields.
1: It's interesting to think about how those practices are bound together by the idea of service. I always find personally To think of creativity and the creative act as a gift, as a form of service to a community as a way Mm. of, you know, putting something out into the world that maybe makes it a tiny bit better. Do you think of your creative practice as a form of service? Is that a necessary prerequisite to making good art?
3: At the very least, I think it's difficult to create art in a vacuum, which mm. I think I've said this before, but I don't think service should necessarily be the end goal. Like You should be creating because the act of creation gives you joy and because totally. you feel passionate about what kind of story you're telling. The difficulty is finding the balance between how much you want to consider your audience as opposed to solely what you want to do with your art. Sometimes the two things, what you like and what an audience will like, will align, but sometimes they won't. and sometimes you have to choose one over the other, especially if you're not in a position where ignoring your audience is possible, whether because you're not financially secure enough and depend on the income your art generates to live or for whatever other reason. So there are a lot of factors out there, but I think like ideally you have a sort of balance between the two things what your audience will think and what you think of what you're making that makes you happy.
1: Yeah, it's really interesting thinking about, you know, all the various guests we've had on here and what the norms are in the various fields about how much you're supposed to think about your audience or not or care about mm-hmm. what they think or mm-hmm. not, right? Like it's like like the the food service folks we've had, it's like actually the audience is what matters. <laughs> you know, it's like mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. you're making food, someone's going to eat it. What they, you know, they they you're not making like a modernist masterpiece that's going to be controversial or whatever. And, and, uh, yeah, so I just find, I find the way we think about navigating all of those questions really, really fascinating. Mm -hmm. I also loved that question. His mentor asked him about what made him happy. And one thing I loved about his story about that is that that question was a challenging one to him because It's hard to kind of admit this sometimes, but I agree it is fraught and scary to ask yourself, well, what actually makes me happy? Because then you might have to go out and change your life to try to do that thing. You know, is that a question you've asked yourself? Did you find it scary to do so? How do you navigate that?
3: Yeah, it is scary. And it's why I'm in LA right now, I would say. And it's, and again, it's a scary question to ask yourself, especially if you aren't already in the field that you ultimately want to pursue or think will make you happy, which is not, I think, an uncommon situation to be in. And it's easier to feel discouraged and find excuses not to pursue the thing that you think will make you happy because it is ultimately a risk. And it sort of comes down to something that we've discussed a lot on this show, which is whether or not you have this, like, financial safety net to be able to fall back on. Like, if you have a lot of wealth, then changing career paths or trying something new is not really as much of a risk to your livelihood or, like, life in general as it might be for someone who doesn't have that safety net and for whom quitting a secure job that doesn't necessarily make them happy would still have, like, a hugely detrimental effect on their life and mean that pursuing something else would be a gigantic gamble.
1: Yeah, totally. I mean, it, the risk factors and whatever vary from person to person, right? And there yeah. are certainly people who the place where they are in their life, they can't even really ask themselves that question, yeah, you know, because yeah. they don't have space to it. Like I had a friend who worked, a, and this is someone who had money, so it's not, it's not even about money, right? They, they yeah. worked a corporate job that was very remunerative and they were like, you know, I think my time here is running out. Like I, I don't, I'm finding the mm. work kind of drudgery. I don't really like my manager, you know, whatever it is. It's time to move on. But work took up so much of their consciousness, all the space in their life, that they couldn't actually figure out, well, what is the next thing I want to do? The only way they could figure that out actually was to quit their job, to give themselves the space, which you're not really supposed Mm. to do. You're usually supposed to leave a job for another job, right? And so um, uh, uh, it was a really tricky thing for them to kind of brace themselves to go do. It's complicated.
3: Yeah, it's just never easy to do to risk whatever security you have.
1: Mm. You know, we've had a few guests, uh, not in a row, but recently that are in the culinary world in various places (laughs) over the last few months. And I think we've usually been each other's co-hosts for those episodes. So I'm wondering, like, (laughs) what have you learned about cooking as a creative practice from these guests?
3: Mm, I think the main thing I've learned is that I have to be cooking more or I should try cooking more because I like it usually makes me nervous that I'm going to mess up. Like I'm a very instruction oriented person. Mm. Like I love being told what to do. Like I love recipes that are like use exactly like three tablespoons of this or like one pinch of this. Like those are, I love doing that. But then like, sometimes I get worried where like our oven isn't quite as hot as like the oven we had in our last apartment. So I need to adjust temperature for that or like how much time I put it in there for. (laughs) And like, what is the best method of reheating X? I get worried a lot. I right. need to worry less and embrace more.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, what's the worst that could happen? You could poison yourself and your fiance, right? I mean, like that's not that big a deal.
3: I mean, that seems pretty bad.
1: Yeah, you know what? Now that you mention it, it's it's pretty <laughs> bad. <laughs> Well, that's our show for this week. Thank you so much for listening. And don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And hey, if you haven't signed up for Slate Plus already, would you just go to slate.com slash working plus and do it? You get so much great stuff. Bonus segments on shows like this one, full access behind the paywall, a weekly delightful newsletter. Our producer, Cameron Drews, will come to your house and throw you a surprise birthday party. Okay, that last one won't happen. But go to (laughs) slate.com slash working plus and sign up for Slate Plus today.
3: Thank you so much to our guest, Yun Sung. And as always, thank you to our scrumptious producer, Cameron Drews. We'll be back next week with Isaac's conversation with novelist V. V. Ganeshananthan. Until then, get back to work.
1: This is the story of The One.